Chapter Thirty-Three. He awoke with a start. His body soaked with perspiration. His chest heaving. Oh, thank the gods! His fever's broken," said Kawa, sounding much relieved. "Where am I?" rasped the prince. "In good hands, my lord," said Malady, dabbing his brow with a dry cloth. He glanced about and saw they were in a small chamber, bare of furniture, save for a few stools and the cot upon which he lay. A shiver ran through him. "I'm cold." "Aye, that's from your fever." For a moment he said nothing more and worked to collect his thoughts, but they eluded him. All save one, and from out of the void he heard a voice. Hear me, mortal, and know this as true. And now the voice was accompanied by a hideous face, surrounded by dancing shadows and tormenting flames. Boom Shaka escaped from the prince's lips. Never part with that charm, for the day you do, that will be the day I claim you. Desperate now, he groped for the charm that hung around his neck. Never take this off, commanded Brian. And clutching it firmly. Never! It goes to the pile with me. Malady nodded quickly, startled by his vehemence. I'm a lord, whatever you say. Bryant included Cower, grabbing his shirt and pulling him closer. Do you understand? To the pyre, you hear? To the pyre. He closed his eyes and his voice trailed off. No matter what, no matter what. And he fell into a deep sleep with his hand still gripping the charm. Two days passed, and the prince still had not returned to consciousness. But on the morning of the third day, he began to stir, and when his eyes fluttered open at last, he found Kawa sitting on a stool beside him, smiling. "Welcome back, my lord." The prince tried to raise himself. "No, no, just rest." The retainer brought a cup of water to Brian's lips, and he held it while he sipped. "You're still very weak." "How long have I been unconscious?" The retainer wiped his mouth. "Well, it's been five days." Five days," said. Brian aghast. Aye, my lord, since your last fever fit. Altogether, you've been out of touch, so to speak, for almost twice that. Brian closed his eyes, his emotions suddenly warring inside him. Ten more days gone, stolen from him. So deep and complete was his sleep, he might just as well have been dead. It was then the door to the chamber creaked open, and Malady poked her head inside. When she saw the prince awake and gazing at her, she smiled. Good morrow to you, my lord. Welcome back to the world of the living. Good Tomorrow to you. It's good to be back. Are you hungry? You should eat something if you can. Actually, I'm famished. I don't suppose you have a roast pig hiding behind your back. Pleased, the woman snorted. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> but let me see what I could find. She gave him another smile, then closed the door behind her. Brian stared about the room, taking in the drab mud walls and the split timbers that ran overhead. Where are we? And what is that terrible smell? We are five miles downwind of the town of Anapest, and I believe that should answer your second question as well. Ah. The manure depository. I toured the place once with father. He kept gagging, but out of respect for the townsfolk, he refused to vomit, not even upon their insistence. He paused to collect his thoughts. How did we get here? Ah, well, that's a long story, my lord, said Kawa with a smile. What's the last thing you remember? Boomshaka's fearsome image crept back into his mind, and once again he heard, Never part with that charm, for the day you do, that will be the day I claim. 
flame you. Shuddering, Bryant clutched the charm. To his surprise, it was warm. Tell me, Kaua, said the prince with difficulty. Did what I think happened? Aye, my lord, said Kaua gravely. It happened. Bryant grimaced. That face. He shook his head, as if by doing so, he could shake it from his mind. I thought I was afraid in the cavern, but this, now I know what true fear is. He looked at Kaua for reassurance. I'm still afraid. No one is impervious to fear, my lord. We all shrink from something, and admitting it doesn't make you any less of a man, or a king. In fact, I dare say it makes you a better one on both accounts. How so? If you keep in mind that all men are afraid of something, then you will fear no man, and that will give you an advantage over the worst of them, and respect from the best of them. For a moment Bryand was silent, weighing Cower's words. Good words, he thought, and he was about to tell him so when the door opened and the boys walked in. Are you gonna live? asked the little one. Bryant surfaced from his thoughts. I believe so. The boy nodded, then turned to Noam. Oh, well, I guess you win. Malady reappeared, carrying hot porridge, which she fed to the prince. As she did this, Kower, using a very dramatic voice, related the events that occurred after their encounter with the demon worshippers. Leaving Malady and the boys safely hidden... I snuck back to the clearing and- You mean you disobeyed my command? Interrupted the prince. Aye, my lord, and you can be thankful I did. Now eat your porridge. Anyway, by the time I returned, you were burning up with fever. I dragged you from the clearing and rejoined Malady and the boys, whereupon the four of us carried you down the hill and back to the village. Me and Denoam found the horses. Added Noam. And a wagon, too. Added Denoam. Another wagon? Asked Brian, incredulous. That makes three, don't it? Doesn't it? However you say it, it's still three. May I continue? So we hitched the horses to the wagon and had just placed you in the rear when what do you think should happen? Blurted Malady, no longer able to contain her excitement. Cower frowned. Here now, this is my story. We was attacked, said the woman, ignoring the retainer. I we was attacked, Noam repeated. By using my sword, the one you gave me, he cut down one of them demon worshippers. They were all around us, continued Kaur, his voice raised purposely to silence the others. Somehow I managed to fend off the blows. The gnome pushed in front of him. Except for one that knocked him off the wagon. I was coming to him. That one I took care of. You asked the prince surprised? With this. The boy produced the ceremonial dagger. So what do you think? Bryant's smile faded somewhat. He knew now the dagger had once been the tip of Boom Shaka's taloned finger. Every instinct told him to destroy it. But when he looked at the boy and saw the eagerness on his face, he patted Denoam on his shoulder and said, I'm very impressed. That took great courage. The boy puffed out his chest. Yeah, I guess it did. He held out the dagger to the prince. Yeah. Me and Noam want you to have it. Noam and I, said Kaua. It was second nature now. Bryant took the dagger somewhat reluctantly and turned it over in his hands. That's very kind of you, but wouldn't you prefer to keep it? Uh-uh, said Noam somewhat too quickly. We figured you might need it if Boom Shaka ever caught you without your charm. Also, added Noam candidly, if that bugger ever decides he wants it back, 
We don't want him coming to us. Cower related the rest of the story, how they had broken through the remaining attackers and galloped out of town. At this point, Malady took up the narrative as she changed the prince's dressing. You was burning up with fever, you was, with your skin all blistered and oozy. Well, luckily, we still had the leather pouch. You know, the one with Aldina's ointments. I've been applying some to your lordship's skin ever since. The stuff's a blanking wonder. Why, I even tried it on me piles and they've shrunk almost to nothing. Can you beat that? Bryant smiled and, attempting to be gracious, replied, I wouldn't even try. He patted her hand. I cannot thank you enough. Malady blushed, though for Malady this meant her cheeks took on a normal, healthy glow. Anything for you, my lord. Someday I'll be able to repay your kindness. His eyes took in Kawa and the boys, all of you. Perhaps when we reach Pepperell there will be an opportunity for me to show you his words cut off abruptly, for at the mention of Pepperell, their smiles turned pained and then collapsed. What is it? asked Brian, sensing trouble. It took a moment before Kawa found the words. We were there a week ago. The prince braced himself for bad news, and the village and the manor house have been destroyed. The prince's face took on a grave expression. And Duane, what of him? Kawa cheered somewhat. He's alive, though no one knows just where. And so is Master Nile who we believe is with him. Apparently, they were last seen heading for Torkelstone. Bryant pushed away the porridge, which is where we should be heading. He attempted to rise, ignoring their protests. We've no more time to waste. Torkelstone is our last hope of ever linking up with them. My lord, said Cower, suppressing a smile, you've been unconscious for many days. You've had a close brush with death. Even so, replied Bryant, struggling to sit up, we must away. Come, gather what belongs to us and- My lord, we're a day outside of Torkelstone, admitted Cower, and half a day more from Master Dillon's castle. The prince looked up at this, his mouth hanging open in surprise, which made the retainer want to laugh. Aye, and thanks to the good friars here, we've had food and shelter now for the past three days. Some shelter, said Dinoam ruefully. The prince knitted his brow, perplexed by the boy's remark, but before anyone could explain further- there came a loud creaking sound from the rafters above their heads, followed by an urgent rapping on the door. A portly man dressed in a friar's robe, whose name Bryant later learned was Brother Lumpkin, poked his head inside without waiting to be admitted. We're evacuating again, folks, said the man, eyeing the rafters carefully. He was accompanied by three other friars, all smiling congenially. All approached the bed and carried the prince out of the room, using the cot as a litter. Bryant looked on confused, but there was no time now to answer his questions, for the creaking had changed to a groan, and the louder the groan complained, the faster the friars moved. Quickly now! Quickly, came a voice from up ahead. That's right. Don't crowd. Careful now and watch your steps. As Bryant was carried through the front entrance, he caught sight of a friar standing by the door and shouting instructions to everyone about. He would later introduce himself as Father Fervor, the head of the order. But at the present, he was far too busy. He had silver hair and a clean-shaven face. When the man glanced Bryant's way and saw the prince was awake, he smiled in a friendly manner while waving them on. Ah, good morrow to you, young man. Nice. Nice to see you up. Keep moving, Brother Lumpkin. Faster, children, you don't want to be beaned by a timber. 
Fold upon fold of dark gray clouds blanketed the sky, and the rain fell in silvery sheets. Even so, they carried the prince outside, across a well-kept lawn that was ringed by a flower bed full of purple, white, and fuchsia jump-jumps. They stopped beneath a long canvas lean-to, where they watched in silence as first the side wall and then half the roof of the monastery caved in. Bryant turned to Cower confused, not knowing what to say or think. It was Denome, however, who supplied him with at least one answer. This is the second time it's happened since we've been here. All right, let's get to work, brothers, said Father Fever, taking charge. And ignoring the rain, the entire order, including the friars who had carried out the prince, began the slow, laborious process of shoring up the walls. Father Fever, however, lingered a moment and called to the travelers. Sorry about the inconvenience, folks. But hopefully we'll all be back inside by nightfall. Oh, there's hot broth yonder. He pointed to a nearby lean-to, a smaller version of the one they were under, where a large cauldron hung over a smoky fire. Now don't feel obliged, but if you're inclined to lend a hand, we'd certainly appreciate it. That is except you, young man, said Father Fervor, pointing at Bryant. You stay right where you are. Despite what Father Fervor said, Bryant could not sit still. He and Malady took over dishing up the broth, while Cower and the boys hauled mud from a large pit behind the monastery. As the hours passed, the prince learned much about his benefactors. They were all pious members of the Order of Perpetual Reconstruction, named appropriately for the monastery where they worked and prayed. It was built from mud and stone and timbers, and these were the only materials used. Therefore, whenever it rained more heavily than a light drizzle, the walls tended to wash away or the roof collapsed, or both. In the 25 years the monastery had existed, no one had ever attempted to prevent this, despite the invention of cement some decades before. The friars and residents were forever repairing the place, and for this they were known for their patience, their diligence, but not particularly for their carpentry or masonry skills. Each night, as the nobility of the land sat upon their cushioned seats at cloth-covered tables laden with succulent foods, the friars of the order sat upon roughly hewn benches, at tables bare but for the essentials. Bread, broth, fruit, and goat's cheese. It was a pasty diet and hard on the digestive system, but it sustained them in their faith. Their days were divided between prayer and shoring up the walls, or the roof, whichever had fallen last. And at night, after their meager repast, they would retire to their cubicles, furnished simply with a floor, the one thing upon which they could always depend, a cot, and a candle by which to read the basic doctrines of the order or the building schedule for the following day. Their leader, Father Fervor, was a pious man who had devoted his life to helping those in need, providing food and shelter to the poor, nursing their ills and illnesses alike, teaching them to read and write. For this he was loved and respected by many. He was a vital man, full of strength and zeal, with a booming voice that could reach every corner of the grounds. And when he called, the brothers of the order came running. Dressed in their clumsy friar's robes and flapping sandals, they looked like fatted geese, and this always made Father Fervor laugh. He was a man with a sense of humor, too. If the man had one fault, and this Brother Lumpkin had confided in Bryant, looking most concerned, it was his outspokenness and his lack of prudence in a time that demanded less of the former and more, much more, of the latter. But this was asking quite a lot of a man like Father Fervor, who was not one to stand idly by while the weak were being exploited, especially in the king's name. He was forever writing letters of protest to the court and to the local magistrate. Brother Lumpkin 
Lumpkin was very afraid that, with the recent change of gods, Father Fervor was inviting serious trouble. When at length the time seemed right, Brian approached the man, and, without giving his identity away, asked if there had been any local unrest. Immediately the friar's smile turned to a hard frown. Ha! What was once a peaceful life has become a hideous nightmare. People are attacked on the road without provocation. Homes are broken into, and men are murdered in their beds. Businesses have been confiscated, farms plundered, old taxes have been doubled, and new taxes have been imposed. Father Fervor was silent a moment, shaking his head in frustration. I think this new ruler of ours is nothing more than a wolf dressed in king's clothing. Brother Lumpkin cleared his throat. <coughs> Uh, father, cautioned the man with a discreet nod in Brian's direction. Don't you think we should get back to work? Father Fervor ignored him. Well, what else would you call a man who plunders his own people? As far as I'm concerned, he doesn't deserve to rule. He looked at Brian, noting the concerned expression upon his face. Does that sound like treason to you? I'm sure it will to the local authorities. This, for some reason, he thought was funny. <laughs> I've, I've already written them three times. I, it does sound like treason, said the prince candidly. At this, Father Fervor stopped laughing and his face darkened. But, added Bryant quickly, it is a belief shared by many people these days. One in particular stands before you. Courage, Father. Things will change soon. From here I go to Torkelstone to join up with those who share the same belief. And together we will raise an army and defeat the tyrant on the field. Who are you? Asked Father Fervor a bit dumbfounded. But before the prince could respond, the sound of galloping horses reached them. And then from around a bend in the road, mud clods flying before them, a troop of gods appeared. Father Fervor, said Brother Lumpkin nervously. What's to become of us? Calm yourself, brother, replied the friar, staring past the man. Do you remember what we do in the face of adversity? Ah, uh, hide? Come, brother, you can do better than that. Brother Lumpkin lowered his head and sulked. It's not easy, especially in the face of adversity. Of course it isn't. But remember, brother, in the face of adversity, we always pull up our undergarments lest they are riding too low, and adjust our habits, lift our chins, and prepare ourselves to spit. By now, the gods, seven altogether, had wheeled their mounts onto the monastery grounds and had reined in before the gathering brothers. Seeing where they had halted, Father Fervor pushed his way through and strode purposely to the officer in charge. It was one eye. Oh, not in the flower bed. What's the matter with you? Get those horses out of there this minute. Stay right where you are, snapped one eye to his men. He slipped his hand behind his tunic and produced some crumpled pieces of parchment. Are you this Father Fervor who questions the authority of the crown? I am. You're very bold sending these. I'm a bit surprised you could read them. Father Fervor could not possibly have known just how bad a week one eye was having. First, two mercenaries had dared to oppose him, stealing a cart of food he had stolen for himself. His ribs still ached from the encounter, and he had broken a front tooth landing hard against his saddle as he tried to pursue them. To add insult to injury, they had escaped into Sherman Oaks, where his men had refused to pursue. Since then, he had been in constant pain, which he could not remedy, having long ago dispatched the local apothecary and sold the contents of his shop. And worse still, he had been summoned by the area commander and thrashed soundly for allowing one farther fervor of the Order of Perpetual Reconstruction to spread sedition. You're a smart one, monk, sneered one eye, a look made 
made fiercer by his missing upper lip. Too smart. You've offended lots of people around here, including me. I speak my mind, said Father Fervor, unintimidated. Tis my right as a free man, and I only offend those who need offending. Is that so? Perhaps you'll think differently when you've felt the bite of my whip across your back. It's got a way of reminding folks what shoot their mouths off. Seize him! The troop dismounted, and while four men scowled at the friars, two grabbed Father Fervor and forced him to his knees. One eye climbed down from his horse. He took hold of his whip, letting it uncoil to the ground. Over there, said the officer, pointing to the front door of the monastery. Tie him to the knocker. One eye took his time approaching, and when Father Fervor was bound securely, the officer leaned upon the door and presented him with a mocking grin. <laughs> no any prayers, friar. Father Fervor looked at him, a calm expression on his face. You will not be whipping me, not this day. Of that, I am most certain. Oh, really? Said One-Eye smugly, leaning all his weight upon the door. And why is that? Because you've made two costly errors. The first was tying me to this door. The second was leading upon it. And just as Father Fervor predicted, there came a loud groan from the hinges and the door collapsed inward, sending one eye spilling into the monastery. Say what I mean, goaded Father Fervor, who had landed safely atop the door. The guard stood quickly and dusted himself off. He was in a foul mood now, and he intended to make the friar pay dearly. He glanced about in search of his whip, found it, and had just scooped it up when there came a surprisingly loud groan. Puzzled, One-Eye looked up and saw the rafter beams pulling away from their holders. His face went ashen. He turned toward the doorway, but months of easy living had slowed his reflexes, and he had barely taken a step when an avalanche of clay tiles and soggy timbers collapsed upon him. During this, the two guards who had tied Father Fervor to the door fell back to the scaffold, their mouths gaping open in utter amazement as stone and crumbled mortar collected at their feet. Cower, who was standing behind them, found the opportunity presented to him irresistible. A subtle shove set the scaffold rocking. Another shove, and it pulled away from the wall. Seeing this, Noam and Denoam immediately rushed to help him. Together they toppled the supporting structure, dousing the guards with fresh mortar, buckets, poles, and brushes, and pinning them under some heavy planking. Having seen their comrades thus felled, the remaining guards, four in number, drew their weapons. It was Brother Lumpkin's turn to improvise now. Shouting at the top of his voice, I can't believe I'm doing this! The friar came barreling from behind and bowled two of them over like lawn pins. At the very same moment, Bryant rushed from the lean-to with Slaybest in hand. When the two gods saw him approaching, their whole demeanor changed. They had never faced an armed opponent, especially one who looked so intent upon cutting off their heads. They panicked, threw down their weapons, and attempted to run away. One turned to his left and the other to his right, which put them facing each other. They realized this at the very last moment, but by then it was far too late, and with a loud whack preceded by a loud oof, they collided headlong and fell unconscious to the ground. You did it, Brother Lumpkin, shouted Father Fervor, most exuberant now. You faced adversity and you spit squarely in its eye. I did, didn't I, said the brother, breathless from excitement. Dear me, <laughs> I've never been in a battle before. You were splendid, shouted Father Fervor from where he lay. All of you, 
I've never seen such courage, such imagination. Now would someone be kind enough to set me free? They did so, congratulating one another as the rest of the friars of the order gathered around them and cheered. Perhaps we'd better do something with the guards before they wake up, suggested the prince. A good idea, young man, said Father Fervor. The gods will tolerate one display of aggressive behavior anymore and they'll think we're enjoying ourselves too much. They retrieved one eye from the rubble, who was very dazed, and therefore most complacent as they tied his hands behind his back and shoved a gag into his mouth. Then they did the same to the other guards and rolled each of them in canvas like a rug in a carpet shop, piling them one atop the other by the side of the road for the local flea marketers to pick up. Ah, you're dressed like a simple peasant, said Father Fervor to the prince. But from the way you handle yourself, I'd venture to say you were a soldier at one time. Perhaps even an officer. What's your name, lad? Bryant considered revealing the truth about himself, but changed his mind. For your own safety, it's better you don't know. I've been, uh cast outside the law of late and remain a hunted man. He's the king, said Denome, who had joined them after the skirmish. A king, you say, replied Father Fervor, indulging the boy. My, my, isn't that grand? Not a king, answered Denome. The king, the rightful one. Before the boy could say anything more, Kao was leading him away. What? Didn't I say that right? We'll discuss it later. Let's go back to the guards. You can knock them unconscious if they start to wake. That's a good idea. During this, Father Fervor had been studying Brian's face. So, you're an outlaw, are you? A very educated one, I think. The prince nodded, but refrained from saying anything more. There's something you should know about me, young man, if I haven't already made it plain. I'm not someone who frightens easily, and when it comes to injustice, I'm like a macadamia wildcat. So keep your identity to yourself, if you must. But know you this, I'm inclined to take the boy at his word. Though I know not why, I believe he was telling the truth, and the man standing before me now is indeed the rightful king. Brian studied the friar's face, and when he was convinced of the man's sincerity, he said, Very well then, I only hope you still believe the boy after what I've told you. They strolled back and forth beneath the lean-to, and as they did so, one by one, the other friars gathered to listen. Afterwards, having spoken so earnestly and with such passion, all those gathered felt compelled to kneel before him. My lord, said Father Fervor, quite moved, I believe what you say, and I believe every brother here does too. Too much has changed since your father's death. The Bryant we knew would never do such things. He meshed his hands and placed them over his heart. Were we of a different calling, we would follow you wherever you went. But ours is not the way of the sword, no matter how justly it's wielded. Ours is the way of enlightenment and the enrichment of the soul. Trust me, sire, while you struggle to regain your kingdom upon the battlefield, we will travel the links of the continent, spreading the news of your brother's deception in such an honest and compelling way that all who hear will be truly swayed and join you in your cause. Thank you, Father Fervor, said Brian, deeply moved, offering the man his hand. Father Fervor rose and shook it vigorously, and with a grin that stretched from ear to ear, replied, Fear not, Your Grace. We'll see you safely through Sherman Oaks. The thieves there will not attack such a large party, and by noon upon the following day, 
you will be reunited with your friends. He motioned his followers to gather closer. Come, brothers, come. Every minute counts. The order of perpetual reconstruction is now the order of perpetual relocation, and it leaves for Tocklestone just as soon as it's parked. But when no one moved, the friar knitted his brow perplexed. Is there a problem of which I am unaware? Now, Father Fever, said Brother Lumpkin, speaking for the rest. Then would you be kind enough to tell me why no one's preparing? Father, we've nothing but the clothes on our backs. We're ready to leave right now. <laughs>